Sunday Red. Tiger launches his new apparel brand in conjunction with TaylorMade after uh, what 27 years with Nike. What's your initial reaction? It's a no for me, dog. I think is what I'd say. It feels, you know, we'll borrow a cat quote. It's stuck between release patterns for me, right? <laughs> it's like somewhat sporty, somewhat modern, somewhat golf traditional, but none of those things at the same time. It, it, it feels like straight to holes. Um, and I, maybe, it, maybe that's the part of their strategy. Maybe it is. I'm Roberto. And I'm Dan. On the Course Record Show, we talk about the business of golf. We discuss the trends, insights, and strategies defining the industry now and into the future. Welcome back to the Course Record Show. This is episode 33, presented by Holderness and Bourne. On our last episode, Dan and I took a deep dive into the SSG. We talked about who the people are, what their backgrounds are, how they made their money, how are they involved in sports currently. It really was a lot of fun. We got some great feedback on it. So let's let's pick it up from there, Dan. What's happened since? It feels like a lot has happened since, and yet not at all, not much at all at the same time. I don't know how you feel about it, but let's let's pick up there. I mean, you're you've been in this world and these waters. You're a former tour player. Are you excited for these players now? Are you tired about this stuff? Like, what's what's what goes through your head right now? I tell you what. Um, full disclosure: as somebody who has a you know vested interest in the tour and their success in professional golf, and it's you know given me a lot of great opportunities. And as the co-host of a business of golf podcast, I'm I'm tired of all this. Like I, I have I have fatigue from it, to be honest. Um, it's it was fun for a while. It's just so many years in now. Um, and I'll tell you what the fatigue comes from. It's it's like context fatigue around pro golf these days. Like every win that happens, every major even. It becomes like, is he going to jump to live? What would his number be? What could he have made if he, you know, Wyndham Clark wins the Pebble Beach. And instead of talking about a guy shooting 60 around, you know, my favorite golf course in the world, I'm getting headlines and feeds about him chasing legacy and not, and it's just, it's exhausting. Everything now has this context to it of, of money and of the alternative. And, and that's really where my exhaustion comes from. I, I think people love sports because they're so simple. They are, there's a winner, there's a loser. Their team either wins or loses. They have a favorite player. And all of this, um, again, as like a really interested person in the business side of sports, I mean, I'm in it now. Um, there's, a, there's a bit of fatigue on my end. How, how do you feel? You're, you would play the role of just like a lifelong golf fan, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel pretty similar. Um, and... I think what's lost in all of this is that pro golf has been a lucrative career for a while. And like, you wouldn't know it based on, and I mean the PGA tour specifically, right. You wouldn't know it based on what's going on. And that's the part that's, that's kind of gotten. So, I mean, the players feel really out of touch right now. Yeah. It's really hard to find guys to root for. Um, like it's, it's really tricky and you almost don't like that case you mentioned, like you don't want a certain player that you're invested in to get that successful, to get in that rat race of the live thing. It, it creates this, the passion and the connection I have with the game has really changed. Yeah. So I'm, I'm personally finding much more of an outlet in like when you get like golf channel showing 
Pasatiempo college stuff on TV, like yeah. I'm locked in. I'm like, that's the connection I feel. The pro golf stuff outside of the majors has gotten really hard to get into. Yeah. And like for context, think about how far this has come. When I was on the tour, especially when they implemented the FedEx Cup, right? And they went to FedEx Cup and points and the chase for the FedEx Cup. They were hiding the earnings, weekly earnings of tour events. And that was for two reasons. Because the numbers had gotten really big and because they were trying to focus people on points and wins. And you want to be out of touch. I mean, 10 years ago, you'd go finish eighth in a tour event and they'd hand you $190,000 or something. There was a PR and a marketing reason for not blasting that all over the internet, right? Because even high earning people don't make that in a year in, in the, this country, right? And now we've come all the way to where it's just a never ending talk about the finance side of golf and how much these guys are making. And the average fan can't relate to a guy winning a million dollars for winning a tour event, much less taking these 30, 60, 90, what are we even talking about now? Right. And it just wears you down. It wears you down and distracts from how good the players are, how great the tournaments are, the charitable component, the uniqueness of, going from Hawaii to Palm Springs to, you know, the players, like the tour has its own appeal that has nothing to do with money and pro golf does, right? Like you go to a baseball game and you just watch them walk out of the dugout. And it's like, those guys are awesome. Right. And, and we've, we've gone away from that and more towards the money side. And it's, it's going to, it's going to have ramifications long-term. And the part that's always been most, and this is a little tortured of me to say the part I've always liked the most about pro golf is that you have to eat what you kill, right? Right. You earn every single dollar you make. So I have no problem with the players making more money, especially in that context, but it's now changed where there's like, there's this form of entitlement where like, Oh yeah, players deserve this, right? It, you deserve it. Go just go play better. Right. Like, and now it's completely twisted this and what are, what's worth and what's value and you know, what's their brand. And like, it's just put the carpet before the horse, in my opinion, and it's taken the focus around, you know, what you were saying, like, when have we last talked about someone's great shot or someone's great round or someone's great career or someone's that, great like, story? The arc of a year or the arc of a career was always so interesting, right? Like Wyndham Clark has had an incredibly interesting career, hyper talented, played at two or three uh, different colleges, kind of got on tour, didn't you know, didn't do a whole lot. And now he's won three massive tournaments in the last nine months. That's yeah. what we should be like. That is an, a very compelling story. That Dude, should be the end of the story. The stories are there. Chris yeah. Kirk wins recovering alcoholic. Grayson right. Murray wins, right? All kinds of turmoil there. Nick right. Dunlap wins an amateur. Okay. That made a splash. Now you kind of forget about it. Matthew Pavani. That's probably a story there too, right? Wyndham. Yeah. Okay. So so all this stuff, like the stories are there to be had, but it's just drowned out. Yeah. And the interesting part is that a lot of golf fans now are getting their, um, their news and their content through social, right. Through kind of independent golf media outlets. And those are, they want to drive clicks, right. They want to write articles about, they need content to write about. It's not the tour that's pushing out the, the, the Wyndham Clark live story. It's all these independent golf outlets that have a real reach and a real voice. All right. So what we do know, SSG came forward. They did, um, you know, make that investment in the PGA tour. I think it can be up to $3 billion. There's a, a an equity pile for the players that, 
you know, stop me if you've heard this, but um, de details are TBD, how it all works mechanically. Um, you know, I, I know if, uh, enough to be dangerous around, you know, how private equity and equity works, and it's still a little fuzzy. Um, so, I mean, what are your big questions? What are your big takeaways? Yeah, I mean, there's there's some like breadcrumbs of information being dropped, but <laughs> every breadcrumb invites more questions and it answers them. But let's go through a little bit of the structure of this deal, right? There's sort of four different groups of players that are getting compensated with this stuff, right? Group one are the career performers, folks who have crushed the last five years and done well with PIP. That's 750 million in equity for 36 players. So rough math, that's about 20 mil a player. Group two, 75 million for 64 players. That's about a million per player. And that's based on your last three years performance. Guys who've gotten hot, but haven't had a long career arc of success. Group three, 30 million for 57 players. Let's call it half, half a mil per player. Certain fully exempt categories. This feels like the rank and file for a lot of uh, good players, of course, but like the right. not the superstars of the game. Group four, 75 million for 36 players. So I'll get two, two mil per player. Um, instrumental in building modern PGA tour based on career performance. This is going in the way back machine and finding finding some some former players here. Right. Um, are you in group four, by the way? Um, you know, I, I gotta make sure my number's on file, my phone number and email are okay. on file at the tour because I think probably getting lost in the mail right now. All right. Well, it's uh this is our informal advocacy here for you. But but so you go. So you go okay, the group one 20 mil per player for the studs. Right. And then you get like a mil, half a mil, two mil. Not bad money, right? It's not, not money see... though. It's equity, right? It's well, not okay. money. So that's, we'll get to it's... that. We'll get to that. Let's just, let's just stick with the value for now. It's, I mean, versus PIF money, it's a drop in the bucket. Right. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. the Tyrrell Hatton, Tyrrell Hatton, 60 million. Come on. Yeah. So, like, so that's where, I mean, if if this is meant to match or or stop a dollar per dollar right. against lib and piff, you know, like it's nice, right? And again, let's not be out of touch and complain about the money, but the but it's not it's not an immediate deterrent. Yeah, it feels more like making good on some grievances than like dangling an equal comp or equal earnings potential, right? Especially with again we don't know what the you know how does it vest can you exit it can you sell it you know does it pay dividends um you know i mean we know the tour i mean when it was a non-profit had to zero out at the end of the year we're assuming this new pga tour enterprises is going to you know cash flow at some point does it pay distributions and then my big question is where does the the tour will continue right like as good as Sam Burns and Patrick Cantlay are like in 10, 15 years, they're not going to be on the tour or, or it's likely they won't be right. Um, yeah. So what, who does that, how does the next generation get paid? And my biggest thing is like, let's say I'm Patrick Cantlay and I get a big chunk of equity at the end of this year and every year they're going to hand out more. So it's going to be diluted. I'm selling it the day I get it. If it's just only going to be diluted. Right. So I, I don't know how that, that works. Um, exactly. So the conclusion I'm getting to is there's one set of really big losers in all this, the charities. Yeah. 
Because if you look at the way the tour was structured, you get the revenues, you minus out the cost, has to zero out, so all that was left went to charity. In this deal, all that's left is gonna be paying a lot of hands that are before any charity terrible money even comes in the equation. So yeah, but I now these I think in theory that's right. But you know, the tournaments are individual tournaments that would pay to charity. So there's talk of there being some increased fees on them, which you could say cut out of the charitable piece. But um, you know, like the the Phoenix Open is run by the Thunderbirds, and that is an individual tournament is still going to have their charitable piece. It may be minus some increased fees or whatever. Um, so I, it's it's a bit nuanced there, right, with their model. So I'm, I'm not I I think in theory yes, but it remains to be seen. Like what goes into PGA Tour Enterprises? Like the Phoenix Open doesn't go in there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I, I the get tour owns they own the Players Championship, they own the Tour Championship. It's called championship management events, right? And there's like a dozen of them. I think the the first playoff event now is a champ management event, um, but they don't own the the Dallas tournament. They don't own the Phoenix Open. They don't own. Um, so, you know, again, a lot of questions. Yeah, I really hope to be wrong on that. I'd hate to see the charities get the the end of the stick here. Um, but that would be because that's been such a part of the tour's legacy, and um, you know, a good story. All right, on the course, um, you called this out. Decent amount of long shot winners so far. So you've got Chris Kirk was 200 to one. Grayson Murray, 400 to one. Nick Dunlap as an amateur was 500 to one. Uh, Pavone, 130 to one. Wyndham Clark, 100 to one. And ranked 100, ranked 10th in the world in a small field. 100 to one, like there had to be some value there. Yeah, I, I that that shocked me. Yeah, but um, I know that the Dunlap ratings were up year over year. Uh, it was really compelling story. Amateur went down to the wire, right? Up and down in the last hole. Great story. In- I mean, incredible. The list of guys that have won like a U.S. Junior, U.S. Amateur, NCAA, or tour event in college, like some combination of those, maybe not all of those. Uh, man, they go on to win major championships for the most part. So it'll be fun to follow Nick Dunlap. But yeah, you know, a bit of long shots. We're, we're seeing these new signature events um, play out. Uh so we'll we'll continue to follow. What are your big any any big takeaways from those first West Coast events? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if it's good or bad and for who. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I know big names draw big ratings and big audiences, et cetera. But um, you know, it's it's nice to break it up a little bit too. Um, but I mean I have to imagine the tour would love to see their stars winning right now. Um yeah. to, you know, <laughs> Get, get him the money, get him the, get him the feel happy, get him to stay. I have to imagine the tour, not that they can control anything about this, that they have to feel a little worried. I have to, I have to think with this. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And it's just change. Change is hard, right? Like Tory Pines for basically 2000 to 2020. Um, and you had this feeling like when you were playing was when the season and the stars came out, like when it really started, right? Hawaii, yeah, um, you know, Palm Springs, I, it's one of my favorite tournaments. But, like, you would show up Tuesday at Torrey Pines, Tiger was there, Adam Scott was there, all, Jason Day was there. Like, all the big boys were showing up at Torrey. And, you know, Tiger won it, what, six or eight times? So that that wasn't the case this year, right? That was the worst field of the year so far. Um, but when you put signature events on all sides of it, you know, Pebble was a lot better, let's say, as a, you know, and, and you got to, obviously, Riviera is great. 
always has had a good feel, but you know, change is hard, but um, I know there's some nostalgia for that, uh, you know, Tiger showing up at Tory and feeling like things were, were a go. What about the event sponsors? How do they feel about this stuff? I mean, I know, you know, like a farmer just pulling out now the, the Tory event after this year. So what's the, how do they feel when, when, when it plays out like this? That's a good question. I, I don't know. They, um, you know, there's still a lot of value. I think there's a lot of great partners that, you know, have long-term deals with their tournaments and are happy to have them. But, um, you know, as price tags go up, the big thing is like opportunity. It's, it's opportunity cost, right? If, if I tell you, you know, you can buy something for a hundred bucks, you kind of look at X, Y, Z. And then I say, Hey, the price is actually 200. We're going to be like, well, well for $200, I can get a lot of different things here. Right. I may look at some different opportunities. So I think that is um, a, a challenge as, as price tags go up that, um, you know, sponsors are going to have to weigh. This episode is brought to you by Holderness and Bourne. The spring collection just dropped last week at hbgolf.com and it's great. I've been getting a couple texts a week from friends asking, how are the H&B pants? And then a couple of weeks later, they order some, they try them and they all love them. Like the rest of H&B stuff, it's tailored, but not slim. I promise you, slim fit pants do not work for me, so you can trust me on this. The Garvey is a traditional cut golf pant, and the Parker is a five pocket that goes off the course really well. Pair that with one of these vests in a spring color, and you're good to go. Check out all the spring looks at hbgolf.com. Something I was thinking about as football season wrapped up, shifting gears a little bit. Uh, announcers in golf and in sports. So do they matter? Do they not matter? Like, and from a comp standpoint, like Aikman and Buck went to ESPN for supposedly 30 million a year combined. Brady signed the biggest deal in broadcasting history. So it's like insanity. 375 for 10 years to be on Fox. Um, you know, Amazon is paying Herb Street supposedly double what he gets at ESPN just to do the one Amazon game a week. Um, and then in golf, right? Azinger, I was reading up on it. Azinger wasn't necessarily let go at NBC. He was in the middle of a contract rene renegotiation and he walked because they wanted to give him a pay cut. And you can see what they're doing there, right? I mean, they've Maltby, Coke, Costas have all been moved out. They're kind of using this rotating cast that I'm sure is way, way lower cost. Uh, even like Golf Channel, they're, you know, bringing in different folks for Golf Central all the time. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like it adds a lot of value to to the broadcast? Like, have you ever turned it on and been like, yes, Tony Romo is doing this game. I'm going to watch the Jets and the Bills, even though I don't care about either team. Like, where's your, what's your stance on this? There's moments of brilliance there, but by and large, it's hard to see excellence there i mean there was one was it one super bowl or one playoff game years ago where romo called like the five plays in a row where it happened and i was like my jaw dropped watching that right but yeah. that that i don't think has really manifested too much since so i mean i think you know it when it's bad right yeah. i think that's really where you you see it like the i watched some of the live my broadcasts which the great great finish great event but like not great announcing yeah um so you notice it then and you make you start to get a more of an appreciation for these for these stars i guess in the field but that's a lot of coin and you know yeah. in the sort of the dying age of tv and and like legacy media and these broadcasts not exactly crushing it from a uh, rating standpoint it like it doesn't add up yeah i think you're right it's it's 
you notice the bad, but the great doesn't really add much incremental value, I guess. Uh, and it's subjective. Like I had a couple tweets I saw on a little back and forth with a couple people that like, like Romo, I thought he was dialed in in the Super Bowl. And like he was saying, they, people were saying his last, like this season he was terrible and play. I watched those games and I never, I think he's fine. Even like his games that I'm like, oh, it's whatever, right? And then I thought he was great at the Super Bowl and people were just like, just panning him. So it could be like, uh, you know, every year, like on Pitchfork or Rolling Stone, the most overrated album also would win like the number one people's choice album. So maybe it's just divisive like that. But what I understand is like for a while, there was this, I don't know if this is real, but at least it's perceived qualification of having to be a major champ to sit next yeah. to Nance in the booth. Right. And I'm like, eh, maybe it's like really, I guess there's some cachet there. Like, like Faldo had a bunch of majors. I don't think that made him a much better announcer, but the, the broadcast I like the most of the most stripped down ones, right. Yeah. When the golf channel is covering some smaller event or like a ladies event or an amateur event, it's like Savarikas and Papas and they're just talking golf. Right. Like yeah. and there isn't this whole song and dance and whatever. I'm like, it's just so more pleasant so much more pleasant to, yeah. to engage with yeah i mean those old um you know rent and laid law on the euro tour when we were kids like you put it on on the weekends in the morning and it was just very very like therapeutic um yeah but i think there's a trend away from that like i'm pretty bullish on smiley kaufman um who's a buddy of mine but he you know he's really talented and yeah. he did like the u.s amateur in the booth and he's not asking for an Azinger number, I would imagine, right, to get in there. And, like, using Kiz here and there and using, you know, uh, Johnson Wagner for, a, you know, a week at Golf Channel, like, it's very different than these big-ticket guys. And as you said, you know, cost-cutting. Younger talent can be really good talent and and can be less expensive. And they can build their brand and make some money elsewhere, right? Smiley's got a good podcast. You got yeah. Colt Nose, he's got a podcast, right? Like, so these, these folks are able to, yeah, to create a brand around this stuff and not just be that you know company guy sort of that needs all this money. So, yeah, there's the the media models change and it's so much more fragmented, and we're seeing it right with these these colleagues of yours. Yeah, and the multicast, right? The Peyton and Eli one is the most obvious, but um, you're going to start seeing, I think, especially through stre streaming. I mean, you already do like the Amazon Prime Thursday night game. You've got the like the Dude Perfect cast, right? And then you've got, I mean, obviously there's one in Spanish now. There's the AWS multicast where it's the all the stats. So you, you'll start to see that in golf. Um, I think the playing devil's advocate, those those Sunday afternoons in the majors like can feel historic when it's kind of that same voice in your ear, right? The Nansen Immelman, Nansen, um, Falco. Yeah, exactly. Like you kind of need those folks like the six times a year that it's really high stakes. Um, yeah, I agree so, with that. Yeah. I agree. All right. Other news in golf business, uh, Sunday red tiger launches his new apparel brand in conjunction with TaylorMade after, uh, what, 27 years with Nike. What is your, um, what's your initial reaction? It's a no for me, dog, I think is what I'd say. Um, <laughs> just it's but are, 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 I'm going to stop you there. Are you the, are you their target customer? I probably not. I mean, it's, it feels 
it's, it, you know, <laughs> I'll borrow a cat quote. It's stuck between release patterns for me, right? <laughs> it's like somewhat sporty, somewhat modern, somewhat golf traditional, but none of those things at the same time. Yeah. The, the name's confusing. The logo didn't pop to me. Like it, it, it feels like straight to holes. Um, and and I, maybe, it, maybe that's part of their strategy. Maybe it is. And, and, you know, that's fine, but like, yeah, it's, uh, all right. So I'll give you some, I'll give you some background on the business, um, in general. So Nike golf to summarize, they got into equipment and golf balls in, uh, you know, around the tiger as tiger ascended and it peaked at around a $700 million business. So they broke out Nike golf in their earnings reports from like 2006 to 2018 and they stopped breaking it out. So we have like 11 years of data. So that was 700 million, but that included the clubs and the balls, you know, the hard goods along with the soft goods. Um, They shut down hard goods, uh, golf balls and golf clubs in 2016 or 2017. Phil Knight was quoted as saying, well, we lost money every year on it. And next year we're going to lose money on it again. So they got out of the hard goods business. By the way, episode 12, Stu Sink, good deep dive there if you want to learn more about that. Good call. Stuart Sink rode the the wave up and out uh, with Nike. When you've been on tour for 62 years, you can, you know, like entire eras (laughs) overlap with your career. Uh, Shout out, Stu. But so around the same time Nike got out of hard goods, Adidas and TaylorMade had the same parent company. And Adidas sold TaylorMade off, did not want to be in the golf balls and golf clubs business. And I found an article from when Nike got out of the hard goods. And it's funny to read now because it was 2016 or 17. And it was like, hey, they're losing money on it. It's a declining industry. Country club memberships are down. Rounds are down. Like they just got out of a declining industry. And fast forward six or seven years and every trend line in golf is going in the exact opposite direction. So you never know when, um, you know, when an industry is going to go up or down, but um, I don't know. What, what's your takeaway on that? I mean, is it too narrow of a margin? Is that why they're getting out of hard goods? Is that why TaylorMade is adding soft goods? Like, what are your thoughts? You know, soft goods has never been an easy business, yeah. you know, in apparel. And, but I keep seeing more and more brands come up. Now, when you've got the power of tiger, right. That might make you feel a little differently about your, your chances of success. Yeah. But the Nike Tiger stuff wasn't very good. Yeah, that's that's my question. If Tiger f- kind of failed to build an iconic lasting brand with the power of Nike behind him, how is he and, and at the peak of his powers, how is he going to do it um much later in his career with TaylorMade with a, a you know starting from scratch. It's going to be a tall task even with the power of Tiger Woods. I think international might be big, right? Like, I mean, they're seeing some of those looks even have like a, like a buddy of mine who doesn't even play golf. I sent you this text, right? He, he saw this stuff. He's like, look, this looks very, this has like a very Asian motif to it. Like yeah. even the logo and the look, you know, maybe it'll do really well there. I don't yeah. know. But the, yeah, like the, but back to the Nike stuff, like the Nike stuff I thought that others play, like the Fleetwood Wears and Roy, I think looks fine. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I, it's not for me, like we were HB for a reason, but the, but like it's it was fine. It was a clean look, right? Yeah. Like it was tastefully branded. Rory it looks was, really good. Yeah, it looks good. And yeah. 
And, um, but the stuff that Tiger wore, like, man, it was bad. I, I bought some of the early first Tiger shoes when they came out with his brand. Man, I got mocked so bad for how ugly they were. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a true story. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's weird. And I think there's going to be a good case study written on this, um, you know, this Tiger story and kind of how TW brand failed to have kind of longer, longer term value. But, everyone wants to compare it to Jordan brand. And and I think the biggest difference is Jordan is an extrovert, right? Like he, and he had a, a good bit of personal style. I mean, on the last dance, you know, he was wearing the suits that were like very eighties and nineties, like cut, but he always had the cool cars. Like he really was, he, he was, I think at heart, he's an extrovert. And I think Tiger's an introvert and he always had the kind of goofy dad looks I'm not sure he has a ton of personal style and he's just more introverted. And I think it's tougher to build a brand around um, Tiger's like a mythical figure that people are like in awe of. I, I like, I'm not sure that they want to like be like him or think they can be like him. It, it was, I don't know. Am I just like totally pontificating here? But like, he's, he's just, even especially when he was like winning so much, it was like this, supernatural person that I'm not sure that a lot of people are like, I'm not going to dress like that guy. I'm not Tiger Woods. The other part that's hard to square away here. I don't know if you saw this Axios survey that just came out this year. Um, it, it listed like, what, what are the Gen Z favorite brands? I came across this because YouTube was number two, right? So I had work reasons to come across this stuff. Number one was Nike. Yeah. So it's not like this, oh, the, the no, Nike is drifting away with an older generation. Like no. that's not the case. Like Nike's never been hotter. So like, yeah, it's it's really strange. And you saw, you know, Jason Day moved off of Nike here recently too. And um, who knows what's going on there, but that's um it's a the strange other, trend. The other thing that happens with these firms is like so Jordan brand, first of all has gone from like a $1 billion business for Nike to five or 6 billion in the last five or eight years, which is incredible, right? Especially because a 15 year old kid wearing Jordans never saw a 25 year old kid wearing Jordans, never saw Jordan play. Um, and then two, as Nike just gets bigger and bigger and Jordan brand is that big, like when they're looking for growth, even with golf, you know, going in the right direction as an industry, it's just not worth the time. Like if you're, if Nike soft goods, you know, was doing, let's just guess a hundred or 200 or 300 million, taking that to 500, you're almost doubling the golf business. They can make Jordan or air force go up 200. Like you're just going to invest in the high growth areas. Right. I think I mean, maybe it's not so much an indictment on what they did there. It's just, they've gotten so big that they have to chase. I mean, you work for a massive company, like, you know, how the prioritization works, right? Like you go where the the biggest volume is. So my question to the aspect of apparel and, you know, using pro golfers as a, as a billboard, do the players even care what they wear? Like, I know you're in a fashion, you've got like Ben Griffin, you got Cashmere Keith, you got, you've got a subset there that really cares. Right. But like by and large, do, do the players care what they wear or is it just a place to put the so. logos and something to pay the bills? Yeah. I think it's more, it's more the latter. You know, like you said, there's a few that really, care about the fit and what what the look what the look is but um especially once you start logoing stuff and i don't knock the players at all for this i mean you with one logo like you know justin thomas looks really sharp and ralph and grayson because he has like one logo 
right? It's like city on the sleeve or, and like the truly elite players could do that, right? Rory looks really good because it's just Nike. Um, oh, Nike only does head to toe deals. I think that's right. Exactly. Um, but if you think about other, it doesn't matter how good the, the clothes are. Once you put six logos on it, it's just not, it's not going to play. So I think once you cross into that area, players are like, Hey, as long as it's, you know, performs reasonably well, I'll just kind of wear whatever. All right. Uh, sticking with apparel saw, saw lots of, uh, images of you and our friends at Holderness born down at the PGA show, uh, last month. Want to break that down a little bit and learn more about, uh, what you learned. So you, you had a good post on Instagram. You had four big ideas. So let's unpack each of them. First one was old game, new ideas. The widespread embrace of new technology, new golf formats, new norms for the industry as a whole. Yeah, what jumps I, out to you there? You know, I think it's a, it's still golf, which is a very, very old game, but um, simulators like TGL, new formats, uh, Golf VR Plus, you know, the headset golf. And just new new ways of thinking about things, right? Like I saw Landman, like all the way to Greengrass Golf, which is that new golf course in Nebraska or newish. They sold all their tee times on one day for the entire year, and they are they sold them out in like eleven or thirty minutes. And there's actually this new software company now called Notify that is when it when uh, tee time cancels, as many inevitably will, it'll notify you, and you can get on a list for certain. So you know that's there's new ideas and kind of new ways of thinking um, all over that show floor, even though, you know, I always think big picture, like it's still a bunch of people whacking a golf ball. Like it's a ball and a stick game, right? Yeah. A buddy of mine was trying to book a uh, uh, tee time for August, 2025 at Bandit. He was number 800 on the wait list. That's absurd. It's absurd. It's absurd. <laughs> all right. Second trend you saw continued momentum at the top initiation fees and waiting lists at premier private clubs and continue to rise and new builds continue to rise. Yeah. I, you know, especially on the new build side, there's a, a new golf course near Athens, Georgia in my neighborhood um, that has been announced now that Bubba and some ex UGA golfers are doing, you know, it'd be private high end. Um, more and more of those seem to come online initiation fees at established clubs in big cities. Um, yeah, they're just, there's just no attrition on the membership and the waiting list just grows and grows. And, you know, rightfully so you can clear out half the waiting list by five Xing your initiation fee. Um, but you don't want to do that. Um, so it's, but you know, that's at the top and that, that has only gone in one direction. You're talking about Bandon, right? That's at the top. It's not cheap to get it to Oregon. And, you know, I know it's not a thousand dollars around there, but that's an expensive trip to Bandon and they're booked out for what, 18 months plus, so a lot of momentum at the top. Yeah. So what's your, what's your take? Is that good or bad? What's your, what's your take on that? I have, oh, I have an opinion, but I don't want to, I don't want to pollute your mind with mine right now. I don't think it's bad. I, you know, I mean, not to be elitist, but there's people who pay a premium for things like they expect and deserve a really, really high quality product. I mean, you see this everywhere and it's, especially cause it's golf, it's recreation, it's a hobby. It's like the luxuryification or whatever of uh, of like higher education is a bigger concern to me, right? Like the, I mean, we're not the only, you know, the Scott Galloway, like college is now a luxury item. It is, it's ridiculous. Like college shouldn't be country club experience for a small number of people for a super, super high price. If you want to do that in golf, like fine, I guess, right? Yeah, I, I think a little differently, but I, I get where you're coming from. I think one of the things that I thought COVID was good for 
was to remove a bit of the stigma of like the boys club and this yeah. out of touch group of people, right. And the age factor of golf. I, I, I think it helped bring golf a little bit more to society yeah, or maybe society a bit more to golf. And, and this, I think, and I think that was great. I think it was really great. And, um, I think this threatens that a little bit and that yeah. worries me a little bit. Um, the other point that you've made in terms of the clubs, right. If clubs can't bring new members, that's their, the initiation fee is a, yeah. is a, is a capital fund builder. Yep. So if that turnover isn't happening, right. Like you might think it's great, but like it's, uh, but it's hard to keep that, that balance going. That's a, uh, you made that point before, but, and I, um, I, I've developed a newfound appreciation for that point. Cause it's, uh, it's an unintended consequence of what a should be a very frothy situation for these totally hundred percent. All right. Point three industry powering forward uncertainty in pro golf, not holding back industry as a whole innovation and investment full steam ahead. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff we covered in the first 10, 15 minutes today about pro golf, you know, it's not golf. Like there's just a lot of people who spend their entire day uh, working in the golf industry that are not deterred at all by, what's happening on, on the TV and in pro golf. So that, uh, you know, there's like a lot of investment in startups and golf, which should be a separate episode. Cause I'm not sure how much return is going to be there, but, um, a lot of forward momentum that has, and it just doesn't matter what's happening in the, in the pro game. Point four, nonprofit power, nonprofits in golf continue to shine from junior golf to municipal golf preservation. Golf continues to attract philanthropic dollars. It, it's just a fact. I mean, it's something about, you know, the integrity of the game, the quality of people that are around it, the wealth of the people that are around it. But, you know, National Links Trust was on a panel that I hosted. Uh, we did a, a discussion and hosted a First Tee alumni event. CapTech hosted it with the First Tee. Um, junior golf, like I saw the Ops 36 folks on the stage for a while, which is just a brilliant idea. There's there's a lot of, there's a lot of money behind um, behind golf in, in philanthropic ways. And, and that's great. So, I mean, the AJGA, um, spent some time with those folks, you know, they're doing, um, I think they're helping people with membership fees now associated with the AJGA. Um, and it, it's just great. It's great to see that stuff. So it might be the counterpoint to, you know, that, that elitist top level type, um, type stuff, the, uh, some of the closed gate places, uh, there are folks meeting there that, their, their reason for meeting is to, to raise money and then push it out broader into the, the golf world. So it's not all bad, Dan. It's not all boys clubs and scotch and cigars. <laughs> all right. a lot of, it's a lot of that, but yeah. I believe in you. All right. Good stuff. Well, thanks for uh, corresponding for us down at the show and bringing back some of these great ideas. It's, uh, it was good to hear and see some of the stuff you're up to. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening. That's, uh, that's all Dan and I have, but quick hits first. Um, all right, here we go. Lightning round. Pebble or Cypress? Because you may or may not have a trip coming up to the uh, Monterey Peninsula. Uh, Just don't uh, be sure. Yeah, I mean, don't be modest. Go ahead. Most one. excited about Cypress. Okay, fair. Uh, How about you? From... You already answered this question. This episode, I'm, I'm, I'm Pebble. I'm, yeah. yeah, Pebble would be where my last round would uh, would be played. All right, work from home or work from office? Hybrid. Keep it, make, mix it up. Okay. You? Um, I you? lean towards the office. Uh, aisle or window as you fly west uh as i go west aisle window on the red eye home and window if it's a shorter flight oh okay uh you i'm i'm window always window yeah all right sky club or gen pop what kind of it's guy same, are you it's the same thing now 
It is. It may <laughs> yeah, be worse than the. It's the same thing. Honestly, it is the same thing. My um, move is show up ten minutes before the flight and not wait at all. So yeah, there's free soup in the Sky Club. Otherwise, it's the same thing. All right, uh, Apple Watch, Google Watch, or real watch? No watch. No watch. Okay, I'm a real watch guy. I do not want a phone on my wrist. Uh, stream your golf or watch it on linear TV. I record it and I watch it later. Is that stream? I think that's stream. Yeah, we'll call that stream. All right, and uh, maybe a future episode, but gambling on golf are you in or are you out well last time you and i were a team we lost a bunch of money no uh, no, no i'm not so, talking about gambling like at the club that's an obvious buy uh yeah i, I, I know i'm still i'm still we, hurt from that though uh I, i'm out I, i've never been a big gambler i don't even know what plus 170 odds mean it's super complicated to me uh but uh, keep it simple so all right i'm buying i'm buying the golf gambling if i could throw in some bets on friday and just you know I, i'd do it um the shot by shot stuff eventually, but we'll get there. All right. Uh, thanks everyone. Course record show, please text it to your friends, share it on your social. We appreciate everyone listening. Um, we do have some guests coming up. We're excited about, but, um, all things business of golf here. Um, thank you everyone. See you next time.